Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hi, and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. Today is Friday, March the 10th, 2023, and the first hour is going to be pre-recorded. Um, Dr. Tim still has laryngitis, and he's saving his voice, so I'm going to play one that's called What is Holding Space? Enjoy. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free on the Internet through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. On the website, whyagain.org, if you go to that website and click on the Start Here link in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? That chapter of the book contains a narrative description of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 18 years now to improve the quality of my life and of most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into an effective part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's free. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it out, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to click on it, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through that worksheet process, and if you choose to listen to those repeatedly, they can serve as a tutorial for you to help you get the most out of the tool. And we hope people do that soon and often, 
primarily because our, it's been our experience that it improves the quality of people's lives and relationships when they use these tools. And secondarily, it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, testimonials. And if you have any of that to share with us, you can either email us. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. Or you can give us a call if you happen to be available to call us live during the show. 563-999-3581 is our number. And then when you call that number, if you press the number 1 on your phone, it will put the icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And we really appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be of service. That's the reason Michael and Jeannie are spending all the money they spend on it and rearranging their schedule five days a week to be here to help. What Michael used to say is, to help make these tools available to every mind, heart, and being on the planet, whether they had any money to pay for it or not. And his guidance over the years has been that that's his purpose in life. That's part of his secondary purpose. And so he's pursuing that with whatever energies he can muster to do that. And you can assist him in that by showing up here on your own or forwarding this information to others that you think might be benefit from it. So we're engaging in talking about these tools. We're engaging in reading other things that are similar and have a lot of overlap and presenting those and we're talking about them or showing videos or audios of this kind of work in our support groups. And one of the reasons for that is that in the very first four-hour audio of Dr. Michael Rice's teachings that I was given by a friend of mine from high school years ago, Michael talked about how when when you're faced with learning something new, and something that has depth to it and that is different than anything that you've been exposed to before. Michael said, the more different ways you hear about it from more different perspectives, the the quicker you will understand what there is to learn and the deeper your knowledge will be, the deeper your understanding will be. So in that original talk, he said, so we're going to talk about this work from a psychological perspective, from a hard science physics perspective, from a religious perspective, from a social perspective. And by the time you're done hearing about what all of these different 
disciplines have to say about this process or the core of a process like this, you'll understand more, more quickly, and at a deeper level. And I've found that to be true myself, and I've taken it to heart, which is why we present stories that Guy Finley might tell, or things we learned from the way of mastery, or things that we learned from the teachings of uh, somebody like Dale Allen Hoffman, or the work of um, Diedrich Wolsack with his six-step forgiveness process, or Byron Katie's work with her, The Work, which is questioning every negative thought we have because she's understood, she's observed for herself that she only suffers when she believes her negative thoughts. I had somebody email me this morning asking for some clarification. So here's a person who, when she first got introduced to this work, she didn't, she hadn't heard of the term holding space for someone. And she says, if you could expand on the meaning of holding space for self and others along with tools, what things can one say in the midst of a conflict to hold space while being mindful about the process of rescuing or enabling along with some examples? She says that she chanced upon uh, one of Matt Kahn's talks or little uh, classes. I think she said it's on the Sounds True website. And the title of his um, offering was All for Love, the Transformative Power of Holding Space. And you can find it at mattkahn.org, K-A-H-N, all one word, M-A-T-T-K-A-H-N.org. And what she's listened to so far says there appear to be connections to the work we do here. Well, so if you've never heard a phrase like holding space before or being the space of love before, again, they're just words. And one of the things we teach in this work is that it is directly observable that the words have no meaning in and of themselves until a human being has information stored in his or her memory banks for that word. And over time, we enrich, expand, or contract the meaning we give to various words, which is you know, just fundamentally the word itself has no meaning unless there's a human mind that's attributed meaning to it. So quite literally, every language, all the words that we use, they've been made up by other human beings. And when they're made up by human beings, they attribute certain 
meanings or sequences of behavior with that word. You know, one of the examples I that, that has stuck with me over the years is there's an auditorium full of people and it's, you know, one of those tiered auditoriums so that the, the chairs are stacked in, in an escalating, rising way, going away, up. And so as you look down at the podium on the stage, there's a lecturer giving a lecture, and all of a sudden from stage left, a person runs out and starts yelling excitedly in a language, let's say this is happening here in America, in Russian. And there's nobody in the auditorium that understands Russian. But the person is gesturing wildly and getting more and more agitated until she runs off and then drags back a person who is her translator and keeps saying the same thing. And the translator says, there's a fire in the building. Instantly, everybody leaves. But the person was saying words that to her meant there's a fire in the building, but the people in the audience had no content in their brain, no meaning in their brain for the words she was saying. They certainly had meaning in their brain for the event of fire burning the building, but the words have no meaning. The content of the brain, memory, life experience of the person who hears the word or receives the vibration of the word, that's what carries the meaning. You know, sometimes people come from families where there's a lot of good-natured joking and teasing and it's very loving and respectful. And, and so when somebody laughs, around one of those people who comes from a family where there's a lot of love and good-natured laughter, and then the response of the person who hears the laughter when they come from a very loving, good-natured family is they feel lighthearted. They enjoy the laughter. And there are other families where they're very edgy, they're very angry, they're very sarcastic, they're very cutting, and the laughter is always laughing at someone. It's always an insult. It's always, you know, if somebody takes a fall, then they're laughed at and ridiculed. So when that person hears laughter, they get tight and tense and defensive. So the laughter doesn't carry the meaning. The laughter is just a vibration of sound that resonates the meaning that's already in the mind of the person who hears that vibration. So what does it mean to hold space for somebody? It means different things for different people. What does it mean to hold the space of love for somebody? It means different things to different people. As they have been introduced to it over time, by, you know, the layers of meaning are loaded in from the content of the word and the words that are said around it, and also the emotional attachment, strong, positive, 
neutral or strong negative that the individual has for the person who's trying to tell them what it means. So I've had a number of people in my life who are, uh, they're very liberal in their thought process and they're very open to um, energy work and things that aren't able to be measured so clearly by scientific instruments. But they might, you know, have a, a lovely emotional experience and they like the kinds of people that go to those events where they're doing love exchanges or they're doing sending energy healing work. But I've also had a lot of people who just, they turn up their noses at that. And they say, oh, there's nothing to this. This is quackery. And if it's not hard science provable with some kind of a device that I can measure it on, then it doesn't really exist. And so if somebody from either of those two schools comes to me and starts telling me about holding the space for somebody and it's not based in what our scientific instruments can measure it's about intention or about emotions or then the one person's going to receive it far more willingly and with a positive set of uh, uh tunings and 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 flavors to it and the other person is going to receive it very judgmentally and negatively or push it away altogether or write it off as as um, worse than useless right harmful because it distracts people from the real science and what's really going on so what, what makes the most sense to me is um, people like Pierre Pradervan when he talks about going into yourself, turning the focus of your attention into your heart space, into the space within you, wherever it's located, where you feel emotions strongly. And, you've, and hopefully you'll tune into feeling positive emotions strongly. And the way you do that is you bring up memories. You bring up thoughts that are specifically tied to certain memories that had a positive emotional feeling to them. And you practice strengthening that energy, that emotional energy state within you by concentrating on the thoughts part of or associated with the memories of the physical, visceral experience of this loving, safe, calm, happy, joyful, these are various words that just have different meanings for people too, but those kinds of things, those kinds of energy vibrations. And so he talks about blessing and and doing a blessing from that space going within yourself and generating that loving energy feeling within your energy field within the body that we call the energy field that we call the body and generating that loving energy and then holding an image of the person 
regardless of what kind of behavior they're exhibiting, holding an image of them in their highest and best and sending the energy of that image, visualizing them in their highest and best, sending it through that loving energy, the deepest, most viscerally felt loving, safe, positive energy you can. That is a really good example of holding space for somebody. So for me, over the years, as I've worked with this, it makes a lot of sense for me to say, I'm holding space, holding the space of love for someone or holding space for them when I refuse to buy into any negativity that they may be demonstrating or blaming me of and I visualize and feel as loving, as calm, as safe, as joyful energy as I can within me and I project that into my image of this person whether you want to call it sending them a blessing of that or holding the space for that, or whether you want to call it this ancient Aramaic process of humility, which is defined as the ability to see the highest and best in another person and then choose to cooperate only with that. Yes, they might be raging at somebody. Yes, they might be crying and overwhelmed with depression. Yes, they might be running around in an anxiety or panic attack. And yet, within that person, there is the potential to be so much more. There is the potential to be the extension of the energy of creation in form. There is the the potential to be loving and respectful and patient and kind. And so, holding the space for that person... One way to talk about holding the space for that person is for me to identify the highest and best in them and then just send my mental emotional energy out toward them from that highest and best place because the highest and best place in me is the same as the highest and best place in them and send loving thoughts and energies to them from that space of of energy, of vibration, of emotion. So that's one way to think about holding space for someone. It weaves into the ancient Aramaic definition for humility. It dovetails very nicely with things that Guy Finley talks about and Matt Kahn talks about. And it's really something that over the years I've had to work a lot at because it's not something I was trained to do. It's not something my culture holds out as a priority. It's not something that... Rarely in groups, whether it was classes or individual group meetings, was I encouraged to do that with and for other people. And so it's a practice of where I focus my mind energy and a practice of alertness and sensitivity to what I'm focusing that mind energy on because as we talk about so often in this work, what I focus my thought energy on amplifies whatever I'm focusing it on. 
Mike Dooley says, thoughts become things, so choose the good ones. The way of mastery says, you don't experience anything that you haven't chosen. You experience only the effects of your choice. So choose to focus on loving thoughts. You start to have the experience of the energy fields shifting in you towards loving, towards peaceful, calm, gentle, towards appreciation, towards gratitude. Now, the email asks, so, you know, are there examples? Are there tools for doing that? Well, I suppose that the tools, if someone was to ask me, what tools can I use for this? The the primary tool is the choice of where I focus my thought. The primary tool is my willingness. The primary tool is vigilance. The primary tool is my choice, and I don't have to buy into the image somebody else is holding for themselves or me. So someone can come at me and say that I am rude and I'm angry and I'm impatient and I'm, I don't have to buy into that. Someone can come at me and demonstrate the behaviors that I think are in alignment with being rude and being impatient and being angry and being hurtful. But I don't have to buy into that that's their true essence. I can understand that anybody who's putting out those behaviors that would be in alignment with these negative emotional states or judgments that I've been conditioned to make, that that's not their true nature. I can choose to focus on a higher, more integrated nature for consciousness and understand that every human being has consciousness and I can choose to pour my mental emotional energy into cooperating with the highest and best in the other person. One of the things we talk about extensively in my work in the private practice and in uh, the support groups is that whatever comes out of somebody's mouth is about them, not about the people around them or the world around them. And it's not possible for me to be in peace, in contentment, in gratitude, in appreciation, in affection, in its state of patience and comfort, and then have angry, hurtful, insulting words come out of my mouth. It's not possible because they're not in me. If I'm sitting here feeling gratitude and appreciation and comfort and patience and respect, then that's all that can come out of me. So anytime I hear or see a raised tone, a tightness, a tension, a yelling, a swearing, a name-calling, an insult come out of a person, I can instantly know that there's pain, fear, or sadness in that person. And it is such that they either 
choose not to deal with it within themselves or they don't have the capacity to deal with it within themselves. One of the ways the way of mastery talked to, about it to us in, a, in an earlier lesson was I can choose to understand that anybody who does me wrong, steals my stereo, breaks into my apartment, steals something, calls me a bad name or whatever, is another being of brilliance and light, another soul on the journey with me, and they simply haven't yet discovered or they temporarily forgotten their ability to get whatever they need out of life without hurting anybody else. And if I understand that, if I breathe into it, if I observe directly what is directly observable, then I instantly change the energy that I am offering the moment and them in the moment and the situation. If I understand that if I go to judgment, if I go to a negative emotion, if I go to anger or fear or sadness in relation to another person, I'm feeling those things. And it's not caused by anything outside of me. We're just reading about this in Lesson 17. 100% responsibility for every emotion I experience. In Lesson 3, Way of Mastery is talking about the, the, the word of forgiveness. And the word of forgiveness defined in Lesson 3 as Forgiveness means to choose to release another from the perceptions you have been projecting upon them. It is, therefore, an act of dismantling one's false projections. Now, I'm paraphrasing it a bit because I'm just distilling out the essence of, of this teaching. So every time I choose to see somebody as bad or wrong, I could choose instead the insane way of looking at the, them according to the world and looking upon that person as one who's just done an act as a brother or sister who is crying out for help and healing. What if I chose to look upon them as one who does not know how to live in this world without being of the world, one who does not know the way to dismantle their false perceptions, the way to self-forgiveness, one who does not know the truth of the light that lives within them, one who does not recognize their great power to create whatever they want in a way that's not hurtful to anyone else. If I chose to look upon them with compassion rather than reactivity, that is, a, for me, that's a wonderful definition of holding space. I choose to see them as being just like me. Holding space, another way to talk about holding space is one of the, my favorite definitions for the word namaste. And I read this in one of the Ram Dass books back in the 70s. And he says, namaste. 
I honor the light within you. I honor the place in you of light and peace and love. I honor that place in you where when you go to that place in you and I go to that place in me, there's only one of us. Namaste. So if I hold on to that recognition that we are all sparks of the same light of consciousness and we're all traveling around in this energy field within energy fields within energy fields and none of us knows at an intellectual level much of anything compared to all that's going on in each and every moment. That's another good definition for me of holding the space of love or holding space for someone. Another way I talk about it is to say the only significant difference between me or, and you or anybody who's ever lived is the degree to which we're able to live in the realization that we are all the same. And for those who know the word Cohen, that's, that's a Cohen. How can the only difference be that we're all the same? The only difference between you and anybody who's ever lived is the degree to which you and or those people around you are able to live in the realization that we are all the same. That's another definition of holding the space for someone, holding the space of love, seeing that all there is is creation, which is another word for love. All there is is the energy that's giving rise to consciousness that's giving rise to everything physical that's giving rise to every thought and every emotion and every physical sensation you have it's all part of the flow of life and being able to be aware of that in the moment rather than being distracted by well there's a pain in my toe or I keep having thoughts about how bad this divorce is going to be, or I keep having thoughts about how little money there is in my checking account, or I keep having thoughts about what I heard this person say the other day about psychologists being idiots, and I'm, I'm chewing on it like a dog with a bone angrily. Rather than focusing on any minute aspect of life or my experience of life, if I step back and breathe and soften and open myself to questioning, how might I be a part of the flow of life in this moment in a way that leads to compassion, gratitude, appreciation, patience, healing, strength, connection, awareness, how might I, dot, 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 how might I be a blessing for myself and others? That's another mechanical way to keep my thoughts focused on holding the space of love, holding space for someone. I can repeatedly ask, what's mine to do here to bless myself and others? What's going on here that 
is on the periphery of my senses that I might tune into that would allow me to be more respectful, more patient, more compassionate. All of these things, I would say, are things that are in the folder in my mind labeled holding space or holding the space of love for someone or sending someone a blessing. So this is all from an email that I received asking for clarifying, you know, my thoughts about the phrase and the meaning holding space for self and others and what are tools and what are examples. And one of the most powerful examples was I had a gentleman in my office and he was he's a very uh concrete thinking person he was a mechanical engineer um, and he worked on on boiler systems and um, electrical and water systems in, in a building complex you know jack of all trades kind of things he was a uh, he had been a marine when he was younger so he had a lot of physical training he was very strong physically a very very um, opinionated individual a very strong presence and he had a um, a situation in his family where their emotions would run high and people would get angry. And but there was also a lot of affection for each other. There was a lot of um, I would do anything for my family kind of energy in this in this family. And yet he had this daughter in her twenties who was um, having some rage issues. And one night there was a rage event, and um, he described it as he was you know, he gets up very early for work, you know, three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, and so he went to bed at nine o'clock, and he was sound asleep, and all of a sudden there's this raging twenty-something at at his door, beating on his bedroom door, and he knows enough to lock his door when he goes to sleep at night because this kind of thing can happen. Well, this particular night. She wouldn't go away, and he kept saying, we'll deal with it in the morning, whatever, and she was something in the kitchen she couldn't find. And so he gets out of bed, angrily throws the door open, pushes past her, goes into the kitchen, finds the thing that she said she couldn't find, throws it on the counter, and says, there. Now, unbeknownst to him, she was charging after him because she didn't like that he had pushed her out of the way to get out of his bedroom. And, and so they go tumbling into the pantry and somebody gets bruised and somebody gets scratched and and then she decides to call the police now he as the father understands that his daughter has these emotional issues and says you know she would never do well if she got arrested and it would just escalate things and she'd fall apart mentally so he takes the fall for her and he goes to jail and then he you know comes to therapy to say, okay, I need to change something because clearly things aren't going well in the house. And, and I talked to him about a lot of stuff that we've just talked about in this last uh, 40 minutes about how everything that comes out of my mouth is about me. And if there's anger or fear or sadness coming out of my mouth, any kind of insult or yelling or swearing or name-calling coming out of my mouth, it means there's pain, fear, or sadness inside of me. 
and we started talking about breathing and focusing inside and asking how am I creating this emotion. It talked about these things, and I said, now, do you understand how if you were doing these things, you know, the next time this kind of situation comes up with your daughter, it would be different. He, and he looked at me like I would have had three heads, right, because it's maybe our second session. And so I said, well, imagine it this way. Imagine that you're in the, the bed sleeping, and you're awakened because there's loud noises out in the hallway, just outside your door. And you shout from your bed, I'm trying to sleep here, please be quiet. And there's more ruckus outside. And so you go and you throw open the door and you find your daughter writhing on the floor in pain. And the, the swearing and the crying out is because she's in pain. Would you yell at her to shut up because you have to go to sleep? Because you have to work in the morning? And he almost launched out of his chair at me. I love my daughter, and his fists were clenched like he's ready to punch me for even insinuating that he might ignore his daughter's pain. And so I said, okay, I get that about you, that you do love your daughter. Now, imagine this. Imagine that you're lying in bed, and she's yelling at you, but you've had this input that if she's yelling and swearing and name-calling, it means there's pain, fear, or sadness in her. And so instead of being angry that she's waking you up, you open the door and say, Honey, honey, what's the matter? How can I help you? when she's yelling at you and swearing at you. Because if she's yelling and swearing at you, it means she is in pain. It's just not the kind of physical pain that we had in the previous example where she's rolling around on the floor. It's mental, emotional, very real pain that people are feeling when they're expressing anger and swearing and name-calling. And for any of us who are trained to pay attention to that, especially for those of us who are dealing with people that we have great affection for and or feel responsible for, it becomes much, much easier to shift the lens, right? To see the highest and best in them, to see them as being exactly like me and probably in pain or fear or confusion or sadness, and then it changes my energetic experience <clears throat> and it easily changes what I say and do, gives it an entirely different flavor. And if you think about this as here's the stew, the interaction between me and another person is like a stew. It's got all these various ingredients in it. It's not just two ships passing in the night. We exchange volumes of information with each other all the time before we ever open our mouths. There are energetic impressions. There are energy fields. There are vibrations. There are histories and intention. There's the resonance of my pain or the resonance of my joy that radiates out from me and interacts with the energy fields of the other people around me. This is very real. 
And so I can shift what I'm adding to that stew. When I step back and realize, oh, there's a tightness or a tension in me, that means I must have a pain or a fear or sadness in me that I'm not aware of. Let me ask, how am I creating that? Rather than blaming it on the people or things outside of me, even if that someone is standing right in front of me yelling at me. And I focus on the energies that I'm experiencing, therefore the ones I'm creating, they're the same thing, and I shift them to a more calm, respectful, cherishing or gratitude-based energy, appreciation-based energy, and then I speak or act or send emotional energy to the other person from that space. That's all part of, in my mind, the meaning behind the phrase holding space for someone or holding the space of love for someone or namaste or understanding that we're all beings of brilliance and light. Every one of us is a being of brilliance and light and we're either acting from the direct awareness of that being or we've temporarily forgotten or yet to discover our true nature. So, I thank you, author of this email, for sparking that monologue. And we've got about 15 minutes left, so I will throw it open for comments or questions. 563-999-3581. What does it mean to you? Have you have you been exposed to the phrase holding the space of love, holding space for someone? Do you have a different meaning for it? Are there tools, specific tools you use? I I, I meant to add earlier that I will frequently add um, knowledge of the acupuncture meridians and finger rubbing or wrist rubbing or squeezing to stimulate my energy flow so that I don't build up energy related to negative thoughts and the emotions they generate. So I, I'm thinking in terms of letting this energy flow through me and the EFT tapping or the shortcut of finger rubbing and breath work, you know, doing the breathing that has me extend my exhale for 10 seconds or more that sends that irrefutable message to my physical body that I'm not in danger. I don't need to respond with adrenaline and rapid heart rate and increased blood pressure and increased rapid shallow respiration to oxygenate the blood to get ready for a fight or to get ready to run. So those are other things I would add as tools. The breath and the rubbing the ends of my fingers or the massaging my fingers and or um, gently squeezing the wrist pulse points as tools that help me move into that space of calm and generate those more respectful gratitude-based, appreciation-based positive energies and thoughts and then extend them to the other person. So 563-999-3581, what are your thoughts about holding the space? Holding the space of love for someone, 
being the space of love for someone. Area code 610, is this Susan? Yeah, it's a very good email and a very good talk. Um, My son came up the other day to help me keep that kind of loving space with our grandson Jacob before he finally was sent away to a rehab place. And either we didn't do it well enough or something we we were gentle with him and saying things like, you know, you are under great stress now. This must be very hard. And he was so, there was really nothing we could say that would be perceived by him as holding a loving space. He would yell at us like we're manipulating him. We're trying to control him. The background on him is that he tends to trust strangers more than family members, which is what his father did. His father had a tremendous charm and he was very bright and he could attract people. But once they were on an inner circle, a very inner circle like his wife, suddenly he didn't trust anymore and a different side of his personality it was really like two people uh and his son two oldest sons seemed to have taken this on but the middle one the second to the oldest we're we're afraid that maybe he just can't um hang on one sec tim can you handle that yeah okay um We ended up You're afraid that maybe he can't what? You were saying you're afraid that he can't what? He can't get well. I know that's a very negative thought. And I'm hoping that the rehab people who are strangers, he may be listening to them, but I'm afraid that when he comes back, we will be the inner circle bad guys who have nothing but bad motives toward him. And I'm telling you about some fears that may not even be real, but we ended up having to call the police because he got um, so belligerent. He was trying to beat down the door, and we were afraid to have him in the house overnight. We thought he might hurt us, and we never got ugly with him at all, but we had to do these things, and I know you would say that's fine. You have to do that sometimes, But holding a space of love is the only and best way even to approach something like this. But sometimes it's just, it doesn't seem to have an immediate good effect. And perhaps we weren't holding it purely enough. I felt attacked um, and I was having to do breathing and I kept pretty quiet. My son took over. He was very gentle. But then Jacob began attacking him and saying that he was an abuser and he had evil plans for him and we have nothing but ill will toward him and it, it was really an experience with a very mentally ill I hope it's temporary person um, so anyway I'm just adding that even though everything you said I will continue to do but sometimes it's really hard and it doesn't have obvious good outcomes well that's the uh, – well, I'm glad you went back to that. It doesn't have obvious good outcomes. 
and uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm put to mind of those world-class philosophers, the Rolling Stones, and they wrote, they wrote how you can't always get what you want, but you try sometimes, right. you just might find to get what you need. Well, so it didn't work out the way your mind told you it should work out, and yet you don't know. It might have been the no, perfect thing, right? It might have yeah. been the perfect thing to call the police, to have them get involved. It might be the perfect thing that your grandson needs to move to the next level of healing for him. We don't know these things. Yeah. And so That's rather true. than being in the, in the space of saying, because I didn't get what I wanted in the moment, because I wanted this person to resonate with the love I was sending and just make it be a love fest right then and there and dramatically change their behavior. Because that didn't happen, I say it didn't work. I have really, really confined and constricted this expansive moment of the flow of creation down to a few tiny bits that my mind can understand. But the flow of creation, it, it doesn't... It doesn't get confined. We just mm-hmm. cause pain and and contraction and fear and upset within ourselves because we try to make it conform. Mm-hmm. But you know, imagine standing in the middle of the Mississippi River and and thinking you're gonna say a few words and it's gonna reverse course. It doesn't work that way. It's okay that it doesn't work that way. There's this flow of life going on. There's this history that your grandson has had with his dad and his mom and all the various people that he's interacted with through his whole life. All of that was coming together in this moment, and you're not responsible for any of that. You're just responsible for what you do with it. And if you... Mm -hmm. Stand there and stay loving and stay calm and stay gentle and respectful. And at times, calling the police is the most respectful thing to do. It's a way to try and keep people safe. It's a way to try and keep them from doing damage to themselves and others. And so I'm not saying this, it's all got to be a love fest where we just sit around with flowers in our hair, right? The cow sills song, <laughs> flowers in our hair, you know, flowers everywhere. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm saying mm-hmm. your responsibility in that moment is related to what you feel, think, say, and do, how you're using your mind energy. And if you stayed gentle and respectful and you held limits that excluded continual abuse to you and others, that's one of the most loving things you can do. And then when you look at that and you say, I did this and it didn't work, you've got this myopic view, this tiny slice. How do you know it didn't work? It didn't work. It didn't, I didn't get the exact result I wanted, but there's a result. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the other thing we, were, we said in a, in a call a few weeks ago where you said, and, and all I could do was this, as though it was some little thing, right? Sending loving energy, sending blessings to people is a massively powerful thing to do. It's not this tiny little thing. It's not like, oh, there's nothing I could do but this. Yeah, that's a lot. That is 
one of the most mm. beneficial things anyone can do for anyone themselves or anyone else. Go into the source energy, which is one of the ways you tap into it is with your mind energy, your conscious logical thought process. Shift it over to something loving, respectful, strengthen it, pour the force of your will into it, and gently, respectfully extend that to yourself and others, that is one of the most powerful things you will ever do. Mm. And just because the the unfolding of events doesn't map out according to the way you would like it to, it doesn't mean it didn't work or something went wrong. You know, I'm I'm telling you this from I'm telling you this from, you know, direct life experience. I've had, you know, people in my family. I've, I've had a, a, a cousin who was, you know, decidedly younger than me, so much younger that growing up he would call me Uncle Tim, but we were technically just first cousins. And he ended up getting into legal problems that ended him in jail and then eventually prison. And, you know, if you met him today, you you would you wouldn't say to yourself, Oh my god, this is such a loser. Right? He has his own business, he makes lots of money, he has an incredibly driven work ethic. Some would say he's a workaholic, but you know, what does he do? He does nice things for friends and family on a regular basis. He goes out of his way to maintain family connections. How do we know that, you know, if he hadn't ended up getting in trouble and going to prison, that he'd be anywhere near as nice today as he is? We don't know that. Mm. My my own son decided to say he didn't have to follow any rules and ended up having jail time at one time. We've talked about that. And, and today, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more... Uh, respectful, uh, fun, intelligent, caring person than my son. Does that that mean he had to have that to get there? I don't know. I don't know, but I do know that that event, those series of events, didn't ruin his life. And I, I could have created a lot more consternation and upset and and or been motivated to do things that weren't very good for me or anybody else if I'd gone into the deep, dark, oh, woe is me, I can't believe he's doing this, I was a horrible father, everything's lost. If I'd gone into those thoughts, it would not have helped anything. I can tell you that for sure. Mm. So choose the loving thoughts. Choose to see everybody as being on their own path. Choose to understand the power of holding the space or being loving for someone, sending that loving energy out, regardless of what they throw back to you, and watch what happens. We ask people, don't, don't trust this, don't just believe this. Be in the observing state. Be in the questioning state. See if it works as well for you as it has for so many of these people teachers of the great spiritual truths 
and then you're living in the moment, you're living from direct observation, and you don't need to be validated from the outside. Good. All right. Well, you've helped us use our last few minutes here. I thank you for the call and raising your hand. And um, I'll mute you so you can listen to the second hour. Many blessings, Susan. And uh, I think it's Anne who has her hand up. We haven't gotten to you yet, but Jeannie will. Hi, and welcome to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Friday, March the 10th, 2023. And if you didn't recognize it, that was a pre-recorded show. Dr. Tim is trying to save his voice. Uh, he's got laryngitis and a cold, so uh, he is not with us today. Uh, Michael has now joined us live, and we had a couple of hands up, and now they've disappeared. So if you still have a question or a comment, press 1 again, put your hand back up. Welcome, Michael. Well, extending blessings to Dr. Tim and his voice that uh, healing happens quickly and completely. And uh, I think it'd be awesome. Monica, I understand your hand was one of the hands that was up. Let's talk. Come on. Say hello. Push one again. Let's go for it. Well, her hand's not up, but Celinda's hand's back up. So I'm going to turn Celinda oh, awesome. on. Let's say hello, Celinda. Cool. You're on the air. Hello. Hello. How are you this fine day? We're good. How are you? We're good. We got about four inches more of snow last night. Super. If you were to look out in our valley, what you would see is white and dark green. <laughs> and trees coming alive, you know, like the sap is starting to go up, but the the right. ground is totally covered. Yeah. So, so um, I just wanted to share that with you <laughs> because I imagine you're out digging in the dirt. Well, we've got some rain today, and it's uh, supposed to slow down, and I think we're going to get out there this afternoon, yes. Beautiful. Well, think about me and my little garden that's under uh, 8 to 12 inches of snow. Okay. We'll send love and light and warmth. (laughs) There we go. It's coming. It's it's melting. It's wet, and it's warm today, comparatively warm for here. Um, Right. The, the recording that uh, Dr. Tim had uh, played today, when I was talking to uh, he was talking to Susan at the last, the very last of that. I'd like to share a little, and perhaps if Susan is listening, um, it would possibly resonate for her. I really, really um, empathized with what she was feeling because that was my mo all of my life. Uh, until I started, when I was doing the worksheet, started Magda's suggestion of so I can, so I can. And I would found right. that I found that my needing a certain outcome and my needing to fix, to get in there and fix it, really had to do with me. It was uh, my form of controlling behavior. So instead of being um, the drill sergeant mom, which I could when the stress got incredibly high for me, or uh, I became the uh, helicopter mom, and let me fix this for you, uh, just as my mother would vacillate between. I just uh, downloaded her parenting profile. And I 
there was a lot of guilt and self-judgment around that and shame around that, and I'm still dealing with those primary emotions of guilt and shame. I'm responsible for all the woes in the world, and my value comes from fixing those woes, and if I can't fix them, I'm worthless, and that would be the guilt end. And then the the shame end would be um, I am worthless, you know. I am guilty because I'm not doing it right and I am worthless, which is a shame. The other is the guilt. And I wanted to share that for Susan or anybody else who's listening because I kept doing that and I kept adding, so I can, so I can, so I can. And it would be variations of feeling safe or being okay in some way. And I just want to share that because one uh, just now I'm beginning to be now when I see that so I can, what I'm seeing is a little tiny child instead of this wrong person, this damaged piece of good. So it's a, a journey. And, and I find what's most helping is the blessing route and, and what does it mean to hold space. That's why that was such a meaningful talk to re-listen to. So I thank Dr. Tim very much. But I wanted to share that with you all. Awesome. Sounds like a a really wonderful uh, series of insights and, of course, uh, a whole new level of work to be done. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I must. I must say that being a constipated soul most of my life, that my elimination is blowing me out of the water. <laughs> I'm also changing so you're my getting, diet. Well, it's called letting go. Yeah. And I, I've, I'm down now to where basically what I almost always choose uh, in the animal proteins is eggs. And that's it. I've right. gone much more to a plant-based I was before, um, and I'm still very, very appreciative of what Dr. Diotimo shared uh, from his research. And I'm also listening more to to Ruha, listening more and saying, no, no, I tried the vegetarianism 20-some years ago, 30-some years ago, actually, and it didn't work for me, and the reason it didn't work for me was because of the way I set it up. And so now I take what I like from Diotimo and take what resonates, and then I just go on my own way. I've been reading some of the Seventh-day Adventist uh, vegetarian um, magazines and things, reminding right. me uh, reminding me of uh, the direction I have had I feel like it was necessary for me to go through uh, going back to eat meat eating, and I love meat. I, I do not deny the fact that I love eating lamb. I love eating those kinds of meats, uh, and also my body is now telling me, well, that's fine, honey, but it doesn't work. <laughs> it's not supporting you. And so I said, okay, okay. And how are worksheets going on those topics? I don't do a lot of worksheets uh, because 
I have felt more peace with the blessing and the things like that. How I like the worksheet is because they really focus me. They really focus me. And then when I feel uh, an impulse to do a worksheet, I just get much more clarity. It's very helpful. It's just one of the tools in my little toolbox. And uh, I pull them out and I use it and I say, oh, yeah. And uh, I'm finding that most of my understanding is like it comes it just comes, Michael. And now the practice, the discipline is my weak link. And so I'm looking at that now because I've had a very unstructured life because my whole, well, let's say I, I've vacillated between chaos and rigidity. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, and it really, it really is related to uh, ADD and uh, ADHD, possibly, and to some degree, and also to PTSD. Yeah. And recognize yeah. that each of those things, well, you know, we've been taught to give them a name. Remember the word diagnosis if you break it down. A diet is two, and an agnostic is someone who doesn't know. And so be careful of solidifying those guesses with, and they may be perfectly accurate, but be careful of solidifying them so that they, they, they're encrusted at another level. The truth is we're energy beings, and there are anomalies that show up that we label with a certain uh, certain set of words and that set of words can keep us locked into that label whereas when you realize they're nothing but energy dynamics all of those energy dynamics are completely and totally changeable and as you do your work they change Thank you. And I just realized as you said that I don't feel that strongly about HD ADD and those things, although I see a lot of, I actually see some uh, sorts of things, even to the spectrum of a little bit of autism, Um, but they don't grab me the way I have latched on, or I haven't grabbed them the way I have latched on to hypoglycemia. So I'm looking at it since the end result of hypoglycemia is the very same as diabetes. I mean, if it just keeps happening, whether you're your cells are getting the sugar in the first place because the liver's taking out of the blood too fast or whether the the uh, cell is just so stuffed with sugar and fat that it says, ah, we're not doing this anymore. Well, the end result seems to be the same. What's your take on that? My take is that when I've seen people with diabetes who do their work around grief, when I see people with blood sugar problems who do their oh, work around cool. grief, their blood sugar problems and their diabetes disappear. And I can't remember what the grief was about, which is which organ is uh, metaphorically represented. Well, it's the, the pancreas is what the pancreas is what okay. controls the sugar and the and the insulin. Right. You know, gives those directions, and so the and, and willingness to process grief. 
Right, and I've been doing a lot of that. <laughs> well, my my invitation yeah. at this point, my invitation at this point would be that uh, when you're ready, you know, you've got some time to do another piece of work that you sit down and listen to this show again. And, you know, you, you went through pretty quickly a whole series of potential worksheet issues when you first started talking. I, I couldn't repeat them, but if you go back and look at them, it would probably be worth being an observer of yourself speaking those words and then looking at what's the work and how does each of those things that you mentioned relate to grief. And, and I think one of the biggest griefs that a lot of people carry around with them unforgiven is what coulda, shoulda, woulda been. You know, that I could have oh, had this, you know. And the loss of, of that is, I think, a lot of times what people are are holding on to grief about. Here's another thing I find fascinating, sir, and that is in the, Chinese, the uh, traditional Chinese medicine. Whoa, the wind is up. I hope Larry comes in pretty soon. Um, the in traditional Chinese medicine the energy meridian that involves the pancreas also involves the, um, what's the other one? I just lost it. The one that has to do, it's an immune system one, the spleen. It involves the spleen. And I've I've reflected on that a lot, and I, I like to think the spleen pancreas uh, meridian of traditional Chinese medicine, what it represents to right. me is sweetness, support, and safety. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And allowing yourself to have the sweetness of support and safety would be a replacement for the addiction to something like sugar. Now, I think a lot of people who want sugar, want want carbohydrates, want you know things that break down to sugar, is because they don't have sweetness in their lives. And the original sweetness is, you know, you're welcomed into a safe and warm and and wonderful world, and you're nurtured and taken care of. And as we become adults, sometimes that nurturing, you know, falls upon our own shoulders and the invitation to those around us, the gift of giving that both to ourselves and to others and the invitation to receive it, uh, just that nurturing sweetness is an awesome gift to give yourself and to give others. And it is an infinite circle, isn't it, Michael and Jeannie, uh, where on the circle every dot is an entry point. Yes. So whether we give it first or give it to ourselves first or fill in the blank. Well, every entry point, you know, remember we've talked about the the article I'm working on of healing from the ground up. If we build our soil that we're going to grow our food in, that's another entry point. Exactly. You know, it's, there are many, many of them. That's, that's a good way to say it. It's an entry point into the healing process. And as we facilitate 
constructive energy in each entry point, we, we accelerate the whole process of healing. Perfect. Isn't, isn't so it can be nutrition. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say it could be, you know, as I say, the soil. It could be the nutrition of the food that we eat, even if we're not putting our hands in the soil personally. It could be the relationship dynamic. It could be the forgiveness dynamic. It could be the breath. It could be exercise. It could be appreciation for life. You know, there's been a lot of research done on the shift in people's energy fields when they simply move into gratitude, powerful energy. And in fact, you know, the the whole field of what's been called Christianity's their focal point has been, in the in the true sense of it, has been love. If you go to the Buddhist tradition, the focal point has been compassion, which is another aspect of being, another aspect of our true created nature. And I think that uh, another aspect of being parallel with love and compassion is appreciation. Just the fact that you know we get to have a human life. Like, how awesome is that? Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I will uh, go now so someone else can uh, contribute and uh, receive. Sweet. All right. Well, have an awesome day. Nice to say hello. Thank you, too. All right. All right. Take care. Blessings. Bye-bye. All right, Miss Jeannie. We have already rained today, by the way. We are blessed to have that young lady with us. And do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? We do not have anybody with a hand up. Um, we've got several new numbers on the switchboard. We had a, a really nice call uh, started yesterday with a gentleman who was doing a gratitude hike. I'm not sure oh, yes, if this right. is his number yeah. back on the switchboard or not. If it is and you want to talk again, oh, he pressed one. I bet it's him. Welcome back. Hello. I, you know, you're talking about uh, my assistant who called yesterday, and now I'm calling you about I'm, I'm on another gratitude hike this afternoon. Well, how cool is that? I can't argue with that. Fabulous. Yes. Yes, we are listening to uh, your show as inspiration. It is a difficult hike, uh, and uh, and I heard you talking about gratitude just uh, just now. I think that's fabulous. Well, there's certainly been enough research done uh, to prove its uh, its worth, and as I say, I think it's another natural aspect of our created essence as human beings, and sadly. You know, we've come into a world that by and large has left most people beaten out of their humanness. And what this whole body of work is about is the the practical tools for recovering our humanness, for getting, you know, not recovery from a disease, but recovery of the truth of who we are as human beings. And, you know, the best definition I've found of human life is just hold a newborn child and tap into their essence and you know what life is. You know what love is, and this whole body of work that I've developed over the last 50 years is about how to be restored to that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I'm yes. so glad I you're part of the... 
Yes, we're, the, the, the thing about the gratitude hike for us is uh, it's not just a hike up a mountain. Everyone has their own mantra going up the hill. So mine is today, uh, in God I move and breathe and have my being. Uh, I'm with my good friend Gail. Uh, hers is just breathe. Uh, would you, do you have a mantra for when you're practicing gratitude? The, uh, the main focal point of everything we do is the breath. So, yes, mm. breathing is the most um, consistent thing that I focus on. It's yes, just... we, love to, we love to take a deep breath, close our eyes, and just sort of picture the world and the life that you want. And then open them and look around. And when you're on a gratitude hike, obviously it's, it's beautiful. The air is just so clean and beautiful up here. You can't not be grateful. I'm with you 1,000%. Oh, just wonderful. We're actually we're taking, a, we're taking a break just now to eat some bread. We've been hiking all morning, and I do love bread. <laughs> well, receive the nourishment and breathe into it. You know, one of the, the things that I've observed over the years mm-hmm. of working with people is when they lock into the non-human dynamics that, our culture has kind of brainwashed into us, the first thing they do is hold the breath. It literally is uh-huh. a way of creating an unnatural condition in ourselves individually of an unconscious mind. I don't believe it's natural for us to have an unconscious mind. And yet, if you talk to psychologists today, they'll tell us that 90, 95, perhaps as much as 98% of our thought processes are unconscious which means they're totally unnatural. And when you breathe, you know, the ancient teachings, they said, the veil of the temple must be rent in twain. And, of course, they Mm. kind of implied that that was about uh, a purple curtain in a church. But the temple is this body-mind unit, and the veil is the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious. And when you open that veil, the unnatural condition of the unconscious mind disappears, and we get to function as human beings. Like, you know, it doesn't get better than that. (laughs) Uh, absolutely. And, you know, this bread is so good. I was telling exactly what you're saying to Gail. I wish you could tell Gail that specifically. I said, you know, my name is Oprah, by the way. Um, Yes, what we take into our body affects us in so many different ways. Um, And, you know, this bread, of course, I'm not talking about, you know, wonder bread. This is whole grains. This is very important to be very healthy. And we have you know, meats here that are um, uh, very specific and not factory farmed and cheeses that, you know, we, we make sure we know everything that's coming to our bodies. Well, did you hear that the uh, Catholic Church is opening a cheese factory in Israel? They're going to call I did it not Jesus hear of that. Yeah, yeah, they're going to call it Jesus of Nazareth. Ah. Huh? Excuse me, I couldn't resist. I mean, you just created the opening. I couldn't resist. <laughs> you know, I did. I knew. I knew it was a spiritual show. I didn't know it was a comedy show as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are usually you are mo- most people offer that that I put out those groaners. In fact, they're called my kids call them dad jokes, and you know they roll their eyes every time I tell them, but I still tell them, and they still laugh. So. <laughs> Oh, I, I do the same. Gail calls them Oprah jokes because they're specifically <laughs> silly to me. 
And it's, yeah, it's, and and they flow even more when I'm out in nature and looking at all the the things. Actually, Gail, oh my goodness, Gail's over there. I think she found a, a stray cat of some kind. Hold on just one second. Isn't that funny when you just, you don't expect it, you're just having a meal and something comes over to say hello. Is this, now we're, hmm. Well, it's just, it's bigger than a cat. It's like, okay. Gail, no, I don't think you should, no, I don't think you should touch that. Probably out there bigger than a cat would be a good thing to keep some space. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm, I'm trying to signal to her. Okay, I'm sorry. Hold on just a second. That's oh cool. my God. One moment. Oh God. All right. Um, are you still there? We're still here. Hope everybody's safe Here's, and okay. No. Oh God. Um I I'm all right. Well my friend was trying to uh feed something and 'cause she just and she uh did and it uh, attacked her and I don't know if it's a mountain lion or what. It's large. Oh no. Um and I, uh, I'm not. It, it was coming after me, and then I, I got, I got behind Gail, and I, I feel just awful. I basically used her as a human shield, and I'm, just, I'm, she's, she's not, Ouch. she's not looking good. The line. Oh, right. Extending love in your direction, and it sounds like you would be time to focus on safety. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, Breathing I did. With you. I focused. I focused on my own safety, but I'm afraid that I'm afraid that. Sorry, what did you say? Just breathing with you, just you know, creating that space of peace is one of the most powerful ways to bring a, a wild animal to a, a centered space. Should I? Okay, um, hold on. I'm, uh, should I talk to the animal? It's 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 lurking. It's over by the trees. I'm afraid it's going to come back. Gail is in bad shape. I already, I, I, I mean, I feel like I pushed her in front of it. I feel awful. I mean, am I in trouble? Well, I'd focus on just getting into a centered space and breathe at this moment. Okay. Um, and um, I went, I went behind it. What, what was that? Just suggesting that you invite Gail to breathe and be centered. That's the best way to keep an animal at bay that I know of. Okay, okay, I'm 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 back behind a tree. I'm breathing. The, okay, the animal is it's it's um it's coming. It's walking back towards her. It, um, what do what do I do? Just continue to breathe. You know, I'm not sure what kind of an animal you're dealing with. I know that in the wild, oftentimes, a lot of noise and looking big is a way to get something like that to move in the other direction. But. Oh, okay, yes. Okay, thank you. I'll t- okay. Shall we let you go and let you be focused there? 
No, no, no. Please stay with me. I, I, I need, I need all the support. Okay. No. Oh Jesus. Okay, no, it's back. It's back on Gail. It's it's rip. It's uh, it's 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 ripped off part of her, and I don't know. Um, I don't know what to do. I'm back behind the tree. It's it doesn't see me yet. Um, how do I how do I distract it? How do I get away? Is it the two of you there alone? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just us. It's just us hiking today. Oh, all my life you've been faithful. This is a grateful hike. Okay, it's you know it, it rips it rips something off. What I'm going to do is try and, and try and um, uh, throw it there, to, uh, to distract the cat. Any, yeah, is there anything in you know a stick, stones, whatever? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You have I'm, cell I'm signal up there that you could call nine one one if you're if you're up there alone. You probably should call first assistance. I just, I yes, and I will. I just right now, I I, I need spiritual assistance uh, more than anything, as you know. Um, hold on, One, let me see. Hey, we're holding yes. the space with you. Thank you. All right. Oh, okay. It it had it had it had uh, bitten off her hand and I and I threw the hand and then it, it went over the cliff and then and, uh, and it went over the cliff with her and I and I think it's gone but I don't I don't think my I don't you think Gail is okay a tourniquet around her hand her arm yeah I I don't know this is this is bad I feel like I feel like I pushed her I pushed her in front of the lion earlier and and now it's now I I I feel like I'm going to be in trouble right. Well, I'd be careful what you create. What, I, what did you say? I'm careful sorry. where your be careful where your mind goes. Be careful what you create. You could create well, being I in just, trouble, I, or you could free your mind of that thought and let yourself be centered in what support does your friend need. And mm-hmm. if if in fact she's that badly injured. Uh, a 911 call as instantly as possible, I'd say, would be urgent. Okay. The, the place that my mind is taking me right now is that, you know, uh, no one else knows that we're up here. Um, I don't want to get in trouble. Should I somehow, should I hide her? Um, because I don't, I, I, I'm not a doctor, but I don't think she's breathing, and maybe I should just, you know, put the uh, put her somewhere, and then okay. Girl. So I think it's I think it's time to hang up the phone and call nine one one. Okay, but if I okay. we can if 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 she's really seriously injured, you need to you know they're going to be able to trace your cell. I call nine one one instantly. Oh and God, so I didn't even think about tracing. Give the support you need. I didn't think about tracing the cell. So I need yeah. so I, I so would have let's to get, get rid of her let's completely. Get off the I phone. can't just hide it. Let's get off the phone and call nine one one, okay? Only you can do that. I can't do it from here. So I should call nine one one and and maybe I'll say absolutely. I just came across her and I don't know what happened. Just tell the truth. No, just tell the you truth. Well you know, part of part of the whole principle we're talking about is truth. So I'd support you holding a space of truth here. And I think you need to call nine one one right now. So let's hang up the phone I, and do I, that, okay? I am, Holding you in a blessing and sending love in your direction, okay? 
I'm not sure what happened. Michael got disconnected when she hung up. So um, we'll give Michael just a moment to get dialed back in. And uh, so let me let Michael may be in there talking to himself. Let me be sure that he knows that he got disconnected. So. Okay, he's dialing back in. Yeah. I'm here. All right. I think we just got taken into a kind of an elaborate scam. So we'll hold this space for somebody who needs to do that, whatever's going on, and we'll extend love in their direction. And so, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody else in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? No, it is it is all quiet, and I had received a couple of texts from different people that said they didn't think that sounded like Oprah and even before yeah, the no. story started. So. Right. Yeah, it didn't sound like her at all. No. So. And uh, they know enough of her story that, you know, she does show gratitude right. to and Gail is her best friend, and, you know, that's... Uh, yep. Anyway, yeah, we just hold the space whatever's what going on happened. in their life. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so we've got 26 minutes if somebody has a question or a comment. And um, the, if you weren't on at the very beginning, uh, Dr. Tim has laryngitis and he's kind of rest his voice. So that was why his show was uh, pre-recorded yesterday and today both. So we hold the space that he gets better. And Susan just put her hand up. So, hey, Susan. Well, I'm only just beautifully handled. Don't know what that was. But my heart is beating about twice as fast as it should. (laughs) Yeah, I think think somebody somebody decided to set us up. (laughs) So whatever it's about, we'll hold the space. Yeah. And how are you, young lady, besides your heart beating fast? Talking to you yesterday, thank you. I've been like a roller coaster. But I've had a question in my mind for quite a while. Um, You added something to a list of somethings, and you can answer this as soon as I tell you what the the word is. You started talking about fawning fawning as one of the somethings. So, so when you... when one goes into sympathetic dominance, the uh-huh. you know it's fear, fright, flight, freeze, and fawning. They're the things that happen when one goes into survival mode, in order to survive. And the fawning aspect of it is, you know, there I'm not safe. There's danger here. This person who's in front of me, probably a caretaker. Uh, and I'm I'm in a, in survival here, and so fawning becomes the state of well I'll do anything that this authority asks or whoever's con- in control here asks so that I survive. And oh, okay. It's part of sympathetic dominance when blood flow is shunted to the legs, the arms for fight flight, and to the lungs to allow more oxygen flow for survival to take place. Probably some of what's 
going on. If you notice everything that's going on in your structure right now, as you said, your heart rate is up. That's your body saying, I'm going into survival mode here. Yeah. And, you know, the mind can't tell the difference between a real and an imagined experience. Mm-hmm. And so that whole scenario as imagined, the body, the mind takes as fact and plays it out physiologically. Yeah, that makes sense. That's part of the power person thing. You do what you can, what you know you have to do to get along with your power person. But I had never exactly. heard fawning in that list. Yeah, yes. I hadn't. I hadn't heard that in the list because I think of fawning as something that I do when, if I'm not vigilant, I'll overpraise someone or overcompliment in order to get them to like me. Um, and it's something that I've been aware of for years. And right. I'm trying to discern between the difference between that, holding my horses about feeling real strong affection for a person. And so I might say something nice, but it's only about one-tenth of what I would like to say. I'm trying to manage that. This is a whole other thing. And I'm, I'm just observing now to see. I don't even know where to go with that. It's just something on the plate of self-observation. And I, I right. have another question that might might bring us. Go ahead, if you're going to say something. Yeah. Well, my thought would be that it's it's kind of a state of servitude, where one becomes subservient mm-hmm. to someone else, and yeah. is looking for approval, favor, literally for survival. And that's how it ties into that uh, uh, sympathetic mm-hmm. dominance mode, and it drains yeah. the thrive, regenerative, rest, digest functions of the body because the energy, the blood flow literally is shunted away from there to those larger muscles. It's literally shunted away from the higher centers of the brain. Higher brain function Mm -hmm. is shut down when one goes into that state and it's all about survival. And that would, my, my suspicion would be that would probably generally relate to a power person dynamic where one felt yes. their survival was threatened from by their power person. Mm-hmm. Surely that's true. Um, well, I don't know what else to ask about that at the moment, but I have another question that might be related. I was just at the veterinarian with two of my cats for their senior cat checkup, and it was a very happy occasion. I love those guys in there. Then when I came out of the office and the cats were finished, I was paying my bill and I noticed a woman standing aside, obviously extremely upset, crying quietly. And being at a vet, you figure if somebody's standing in a hallway without an animal crying, you know that the animal has been declared very sick or has just been put down. What do I do? I start to cry. And you know, that's none of my business. And I said, I am, I'm crying just seeing you cry. And the woman said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I thought, we women are such a mess. You know, here she's apologizing to me for crying out of some grief. And I'm right with her and she apologizes. I don't know what that is, but I think socially we women have some stuff to work on or maybe it's just me. 
um, that to me, um, you've often said you don't, you don't, um, nothing makes you sad. Well, I would have said to you that made me sad, but I didn't dare say it because I know you're going to argue with that. But what was that? What was that? Well, I'm not sure if you're saying. Tell tell me more about the the question aspect of what you're saying. When I say nothing makes me sad, what I'm saying is I have sadness and it isn't something outside of me that causes my sadness, though something outside of me can resonate my sadness, show me that it's there. And in that sense, it becomes the gift because now recognizing that my sadness is based in something probably around loss and loss is based in fear, I get to face face a fear-based thought disorder and clean it up. As long as I speak from a space of denial, oh, that makes me sad, then my mind has to hallucinate according to my instructions and show me that something outside of me is the cause of that which is moving inside of me. And so it's the opportunity when I shift my thoughts and I shift my language to, oh, that, you know, when I watched that in that movie or when that person said or did this, it resonated a lot of sadness for me. Now I've given my mind permission to show me the root of my sadness and that's where I can work through it. So are you saying, I I understand, and you've often said that, and I think it's very true, but are you saying that if I had no sadness in me, the sadness of this woman would not move me at all? Well, I think it would... It would move you, it would resonate, or you would stand in a space different than one of sadness. So someone's in this deep experience that has elicited grief and sadness and pain and trauma for them. If I have no grief, pain, sadness, or trauma that matches that, then that's not what's going to move in me, and I get to stand as love, as a human being, in support for them, rather than losing my experience of myself as love to this emotion that's going on inside of my physiology. Which to me felt like love. So I'm going to have to sort this out in my own on my own here. It wasn't anything that I planned. I mean, it was just instantaneous, and I didn't know the story, but I felt as if I was caring for her very much that in that like way. sounds like a powerful space of empathy. It sounds mm-hmm. like some very powerful empathy for her. And I think that's a very appropriate response for us as humans. So I can identify with her pain, and Mm. I'm here to be a space of support and caring, empathy for her pain and support for her healing. Right. Well, I could say all that. But I was surprised at how, you know, I'm not a crier, so I was surprised at the showing up of the waterworks so quickly. So, Mm. you know, it's just... Well, it sounds like the circumstance was one, is one that bypassed your denial system and showed you a deeper part of your own mind. As you stood in that space 
gift of empathy. Mm. It was very sweet. Everybody, the doctor came out, you know, everybody was just holding huge spaces of love for this woman. And that's the kind of place this is. It's called the Allentown Cat Clinic. And they only deal with cats. And they all right. have stories about their cats, and they all own a million cats, and it's just wonderful. Everybody cherishes <laughs> their cats fully, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, well, okay, I thanks for the answers. And, <clears throat> yeah, I've been kind of a fawner. I think it, that's what it is all my life. It's something that I watch closely because I don't like um, – I don't like receiving insincere affection, and that's what I think I'm calling fawning in my right. mind. Yes, that, that, that would be the definition of it. That's exactly what it is. And okay. so it's, you know, it, it's using flatterly, you know, if I go to the definition in the dictionary, seeking or used to seek approval and or favor by means of flattery. Mm-hmm. The irony is, if, like in my situation, I I think my bottom line sentence to my mother would be, I want you to like me, not even love me, I want mm-hmm. you to like me. And I'm sure she right. did now. I'm sure she did. Yeah. But I want you to like me. And so when someone likes me, I go overboard. Uh, you know, even I could say the radio show, you give us all a huge amount of attention. You're willing to pick through stuff, look at stuff, teach, repeat, repeat over and over if you have to. What we need to learn, I appreciate that. And it feels like love to me. And so I might be more, the temptation for me is to, gosh and be over appreciative and thank you too much and fawn in other words so it's a funny equation my take is when someone gives me a genuine gift that i don't think there can be uh, such a thing as over appreciation you know like oftentimes i'll very genuinely say to you that I really appreciate the questioning mind you have and what you bring to the show because you you voice what many people either aren't in touch with or refuse to be in touch with. And it's, I, I think, a, an awesome gift to this show. So so I deeply appreciate that about you, and, and I thank you for saying thank you for what you appreciate about me. I think that's a great place to so be. So it seems okay? Good. It's okay with me. Well, I had a, I had a very, very good experience with a fellow composer yesterday. He sent me a sound file of a piece he had written in years ago. Uh, he sings in my choir with me, and he's a little bit of a curmudgeon, and he's very smart and has perfect pitch, and he's just a great guy in his own angular, funny way. And he sent me a piece, and when I do a piece at church, I get feedback, but nobody has ever um, 
shown the level of appreciation I felt for this piece. I hoped that I would like it because I didn't want to have to say, oh, you know, thank you so much. It's very interesting how you modulated from here to here. Say a lot of stuff so that I didn't have to say that I didn't really like it. On the other hand, luckily, I absolutely loved this piece and the words weren't with it. So I texted him and said, I need to hear the words because it was a song set to a poem. The piece stands as a piece of music, but it's abstract at this point. So so he said right. the words. Then I wrote my comments, and I felt like jumping out of my skin to him because I loved it so much. And so I told him so. I said, this is what I like, and I like this, and I like this so much, and I was so moved. I've been kind of depressed, and I really felt so cheered up by listening to it, even though it's a very poignant, um, you know, a very poignant sort of even sad piece. I should send you the poem sometime. Beautiful. It's about Jesus. Please do. Welcoming Jesus. Oh, it's beautiful. Anyway, he wrote back and he said, I can't tell you how wonderful it is to get feedback from a fellow composer. And he went on for a while and I thought, we connected. I didn't do too much. He accepted everything I said. It was like a miracle to me. I think socially, I just don't know how to quite regulate. And I'm busy on it, and it's kind of exciting to take a dare and get such good a good answer. Yay. Well, my, my offering would be if you're going to err in a direction, err on the, in the direction of being over-enthusiastic about what you're receiving. I think that it, you know, it ties in with our little scam call from earlier about gratitude. It's appreciation. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a, an awesome gift to give people when you appreciate something that they've given. And the receiving of it is, you know, it, it, receiving something like that is a form of communication. It, it, it opens an energetic space, and it is a, just the receiving of it, even if nothing is ever said. But then when you give the feedback of appreciation, I think that, I, to me, you know, when I, I see something that I like and appreciate, you know, oftentimes, I'm, you know, we're on the road and, you know, there's a fair going on and there's somebody who's got a piece of art that's, you know, they've done with their own hands. It's like, you know, to me, this is just like, wow, this is like love in form. And my gratitude yeah. for that, you know, it, it it touches a place in me that's pretty sweet for me. So That's great. That's great. These are little portals, a piece of music, a piece of art, a baby. They are portals. It's like special delivery, God's around, you know. Not that yes. God isn't around, but you, you get it kind of. You all of a sudden feel it. You know, you know yes. the, less, the lesson in Course in Miracles, Lesson 222, I don't even know the exact words. God is with me. I think it's, it's one of those lessons that um, stuck in my mind because it's a kind of a magic number. And sometimes when right. I'm not feeling too good, I'll open a book and it'll fall open to page 222. And it's like saying, yo, I'm here. <laughs> Synchronicity <laughs> things, you know. <laughs> Love it. Anyway. Well, the corollary... To me, the corollary of that lesson is when I speak of, you know, the presence of love, the creator is with me, is am I with the creator? Do I choose to be that? And when I do, then everything becomes miraculous. Mm. Everything becomes 
you know, a, a reason for celebration and excitement because life is exciting. To, to have a human life is exciting and to have it touched by another's creativity or another's process or even mm-hmm. another suffering that draws mm-hmm. forward the presence of love in a new way, in a new venue, I think is a mm-hmm. gift we give each other. When we do, and I think that's great, and it sounds as if you do it a lot. I'm working on it. I think it's part of our purpose. That's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Good. Okay. All right. Well, breathing with you. Thanks. Hmm. Sweet. Sweet. Any other thoughts for you today? No, but only that breathing is something I forget to do, and it's good to be reminded all the time. Whenever I, it comes to mind, I realize I haven't been, you know, you're, we're breathing, we're alive, we're upright, but it's shallow, and it's it's not a flow, <clears throat> and it's good to be reminded to do that a lot. Yes. The breath of life is an awesome gift. Mm. How does it feel to be home? Nice, nice. I'm glad to be home. It was really awesome to be with my son and his wife and, of course, Kaylee Joe. I got several hours of baby hugs and playtime and smiles. You know, she's at that awesome age where you look at her and smile and she just returns the smile and the arms go and the head go and the hands go and the feet go and, you know, know. just pure excitement and joy. Which yeah. you know, we're we're kind of told to dampen as children, and mm-hmm. I think that's what we're talking about now is bringing that level of aliveness back into the norm. Oh, that would be such a great thing to have permission to do that. And who's withholding yes. it? Yes, Yeah, yeah. You've got my permission, <laughs> and I receive yours. Thanks. So let's go Good. for it. <laughs> All right, you have a as blessed one. As you would one. say. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yes, for sure. (laughs) All right. Take care. Blessings. You too. Blessings too. Hmm. Breathing with you. So, Miss Jeannie. Oh, great. Let's say hello. I think this is Miss Ann. Seven six zero. You're on the air. Hey, it is. Can you keep Susan's um, number open as well, Susan? Um, it is. I'm Susan, if you're but, still there. I'm definitely still here. Cool. Okay. Go for it, ladies. Well, because I wanna, Welcome, Anne. Yeah, Haven't I heard from you in a while. To, oh, thank you. I want to refer to what she was talking about in the vet clinic. Um, and I'm, speak, I'm asking for myself as well, but I don't know if it, that's why I want her on there to see if it resonates with her or not. If, if I was in that clinic and I didn't have a cat, but I was, you know, there with somebody else who had a cat or something. And I came up to the lady who was crying. I would ask, is there anything I cannot, is it okay if I pray with you for whatever's going on with you? So I wouldn't start crying, but I could start crying if I was praying with her, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because I would do the same thing with dogs. But is it more about how she reacted to you saying something? Because, she apologized, and that's what I heard from you, that that was more bothersome than actually the crying. Um, 
Does that make sense, Michael? Am I coming I hear you. With that? Yeah, yeah, I think you're coming so, across perfectly. And, you know, oftentimes people, uh, you know, they feel like they have to apologize for existing. Yeah. And we don't. Right. What I, no, what it, I what, like... It, it, yeah. Okay. Because, like, I get so excited when you get excited, Susan, about what you just shared about, you know, the 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 piece that was composed and, that, you know, listening and, and your feedback with that. And so, and I'm the same way. So some of my areas that I still have work to do is about, okay, I'm not quite as good at this, but you're so great at your music and you're so great at that. And some of us who are um, more challenged with learning the piano or, you know, that kind of thing, it's like, oh my, I would love that. But, but then, you know, but then you're in a place where you're distracted by somebody, you know, saying they're sorry and did you cause it? Did you cause her sorriness or something? Does that make sense, Susan? I think so. Those are two things, the composer, and I'll talk about the cat woman. She said, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, listen, I'm just with you. I don't know what's happening, but I've lost pets. I've had sick pets, and my heart oh, is so wide you- open for you. And so, you know, I didn't go over to her. In fact, the doctor came out and put her arms around her, and the tech people were there. There was nothing I, uh, I mean, it's perfectly appropriate to say, can I pray with you? But the scenario wouldn't have been right for that. I was paying my bill at the desk, and she was maybe 15 feet away. Um, But but what you just said was the rest of the story for me. Yeah. I know. So then, then you, then you, you really apologize her saying that to you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just said no apology. I'm just feeling with you. Good grief. And you know, yeah. then everybody else was around. It was, uh, it was, it was like we were all one big heart in there. It was, mm, it was nice. a wonderful moment. Probably, probably the least nice for the woman because she's thinking about her whatever beast she's losing. So. Right. Anyway. Okay, but that's cool because you shared just now the rest of. Oh, okay. That triggered you was saying you're sorry. You said something to her about it, and you empathized with her. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you. You know what I'm hearing here, and it's. I think it's a big issue to be healed on the planet. Is that people have been taught that their existence is an interference and that yeah. their inconvenient mm-hmm. their their inconvenience or their mm-hmm. pain is some sort of a burden on people rather mm-hmm. than yeah. we've been taught that we deserve support and when somebody comes to support us you know we can let go of this whole story that oh i apologize for my existence i apologize for being in pain it's like <laughs> you know nobody has to do that you know we're humans we can be here with each other with just sweetness and presence and what a gift mm-hmm. to give Whatever's going on in someone's yes. life. But that is an Absolutely. old problem on the planet. My best friend in New Haven, <laughs> she's a writer, and we'd go walking, and I'd say, what are you doing today in your head? And she said, I'm trying to allow myself to take up the space. <laughs> we used to laugh about that, that we didn't feel right about taking up space on the yeah. planet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true, you know, and, and that's oftentimes a message that comes from a power person, like you're an interruption of my life. And, you know, life is not an interruption. Mm-hmm. Life is 
an opportunity to really express and experience who we are and, and to be received in the world for that. So, so I join you in that, ladies. That's a good point. Good one to bring yeah, up. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. So sending hugs to you, Susan. <laughs> I can't yeah, you too, so, Anne. It's good to see your voice. virtual hugs because you. you've made so much progress, and I know I get comments, hey, I've made progress, and I have to take that in myself, you know, as well. So I think we're doing good. <laughs> Thanks. Sweet. Awesome. Great. All right, ladies, well, the show's going to cut us off any seconds. I'm just going to say thank you for sharing and thank you for your input and have a blessed day. Take care.